Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It is Pastor Paul. I'm here on a Thursday, September 7th, and I have a cold. So not not sure why I told you that, other than to explain why I it might be sniffling and hacking and coughing and sounding a little uh, rough around the edges and a little hoarse voice here. But nonetheless, I am here live in the Four Oaks studio on September 7th. Thursday morning. So glad that you've joined us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. What we do is we take 10, 15 minutes every weekday, and we look at a portion of scripture. And the scriptures that we are considering over the course of any given week um, would be the, the passage we'll be preaching on that upcoming Sunday. Um, we're in the middle of Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 9. You can turn your in your Bibles there. And again, the goal of these times is to not just dispense theological information, but in fact to help equip folks um, like all of us um, to, to study the Word of God for, <clears throat> for themselves. And ju just thinking about teaching, um, we wound up the Apostle Paul class last night. In thinking about the Bereans, um, who the, the 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 Jews who were in the synagogue uh, when Paul came and proclaimed the gospel to them, and how they had a posture of wanting to determine, examine everything Paul was saying in light of the Old Testament scriptures and whether they matched up uh, what Paul was teaching. What a great posture for us as well that we're always examining, bringing things back to the standard, the absolute truth of God's word. All right, so we're in Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 9. As I said before, we're considering a larger passage of scripture because Matthew's habit is to put these stories of healing and power and the supernatural into groups of threes. And he does this in order to communicate a common thread um, that sort of woven through all of the story. So, so let's read the passage. We're gonna. It's a, a little longer. Matthew eighteen, um, Matthew nine, eighteen through thirty-four, and then let's make some comments. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, "My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live." And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went through all the district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. 
as they were come, going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute, mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee says, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. One of the things that we've said thus far about this passage is that it's amazing the many varied and different responses people are giving to Jesus um, based upon the fact that they're all observing the same miracles. They're all witnessing the, the, the same supernatural events that Jesus is doing, but all are reaching different and varied conclusions. And we mentioned ye um, yesterday that for these um, people who are being healed um, in, this, in this story, and again, there's, there's the woman with the, the issue of blood. There is the, the, the publican or the ruler's daughter who was brought back to life, the two blind men, this demon-possessed man who's mute. That, that all of them, that, that physical needs are, are the portal into real spiritual healing. That, that their physical needs have made them very, um, shall we say, um, uh, it sort of primed the pump. It's 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 really softened hearts to let them know their sort of extreme spiritual poverty. In other words, they they perceive their their physical liabilities, but it's a portal into their hearts. And that you know, as we ended up last time saying, God God oftentimes shouts to us in our pain. But on the other hand, we see that the crowds, while amazed and dazzled, um don't necessarily express faith. Um, sometimes some in the crowd do, sometimes others do not. Um, there is a sense in which they enjoy the show, they enjoy the spectacle, but they are still trying to weigh out whether they are um, going to entrust themselves to Jesus' teaching. But the response that I want to hone in on um, this morning is the one we find in verse 34. But the Pharisee said... He casts out demons by the prince of demons. So, so let's think about this just for a second. They're, they're observing all these many miracles. And they're so obvious and so um, self-evident that, that everyone can attest to them. But their responses are different. And here, instead of marveling as the crowds did or having faith as the demon-oppressed man has, the Pharisee said in verse 34, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Now, what, what does that mean? What, what, what are they saying? They're saying, one, you need to recognize <clears throat> they're not arguing whether this miracle really happened. They're, they're not arguing that. They're not saying it's a, an illusion. They're not saying it's a fig newton of somebody's imagination. They're attesting to the fact, yes, this man was possessed by a demon, and yes, this demon has been cast out. They agree to that. But the conclusion they draw from it is vastly different. Okay, Their conclusion is, well, yeah, he did this miracle, but, but the, the, the power and authority that he did this miracle by is none other than Satan himself. So in other words, they said, yeah, he cast out the demon, but that's only because 
um, he's working for the prince of demons. And here that, that definitely means Beelzebub or Satan. And it's, and it's only by the fact that he is doing this by the power of the prince of demons that these demons listen to him, okay? That's their rationale. Now, this very same incident is narrated in Luke chapter 11, okay? So if you flip over there just for a second, <coughs> excuse me, let's read Luke's version of this story. Luke 11, verse 14. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept asking, seeking from him a sign from heaven. But, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, and the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcome him, uh, overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. What is Jesus saying here? He's essentially saying, and this is what he's saying in Matthew, um, or, or, or this is, this is, this is the, the, the backdrop. This is how we're to evaluate what he's saying in Matthew. Jesus is saying, you've lost your minds. How, how in the world does it profit Satan to cast out demons when they're on his own side? That, that would mean there's some sort of mutiny excuse me, there would be, that means there's some sort of um, dual-mindedness. There, there, there's a civil war happening in the spiritual realm if Satan's demons are doing something outside of Satan's authority. This makes no sense, all right? That, 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 that's his point. Um, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so that should be blatantly obvious, right? It's, it's, it's foolishness, it's foolhardiness, it doesn't make sense. But yet, this is the argument the Pharisees, <coughs> excuse me, are entertaining back in Matthew 34. So what are we to, to take from this? And I, I think it's very simple. The reason the Pharisees don't believe is they don't want to believe. They don't want to believe because the stakes and the costs are too high to admit this whole time that they have been in error about Jesus will mean they must be humble. It must mean that they confess. It must mean they must admit their, 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 their blindedness, their hard-heartedness. But instead of doing that, they simply resort to the last, um, to, so, to, to sort of their, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll use However irrational, we'll, we'll throw up even irrational arguments to keep from trusting and believing in Jesus. And it's just a reminder, right, that unbelief is rarely, um, it's never um, just about the intellect. It's never just about the evidences. It's never just about um, the, 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 the arguments. Otherwise, the Pharisees, who were highly trained, they knew 
a house divided itself against itself could not stand. I mean, they understand these things, but yet they resorted to even the most ridiculous arguments versus facing the alternative, which is acknowledging Jesus for who he is. This is why Paul is very clear in saying, we have to pray, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the God of this age who has blinded the minds of unbelievers, um, that the only way they can see is if God speaks into their hearts, let there be light, who shines the light of the glory of the gospel. It's a great reminder for us that what we need to see Jesus for who he truly is and to trust him for who he truly is, is true sight. And true sight only comes through the Holy Spirit who reveals to us our humble estate, who reveals to us our abject depravity and neediness. And you can see now how this passage ties to what came before, that it's only the sick who need a doctor. If you, if, if you're not, if you don't, if you think you're not sick, you're not going to need a doctor. And here, um, instead of leaning into Jesus in humility, the Pharisees resort to the most ridiculous of statements and rationales in order to justify their position. Unbelief is a terrible thing. It's an awful thing. It's a blinding thing. And this is why we cry out to God to give us sight and for those that we know to give us sight. So that's the Pharisees. All right, tomorrow I want to address the issue of suffering and how suffering functions in this passage and how we and as believers are to view suffering in our own lives. And so that's where we'll be tomorrow. But for today, let's pray that God will shine the light of the gospel of glory into our hearts. Lord, we confess that we are much more like the Pharisees than we want to admit. That oftentimes we are hard-hearted despite the obvious evidences of your grace um, because we want our way. We want our will. We want to do what we want to do. But Lord, break through that, we pray. We want to do what you want us to do. And we need your illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for enduring with this, this nasty little cough cold here. We'll see you tomorrow, Friday.